Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. My great grandfather homesteaded in Alaska before all the housing developments and heavy traffic. Used to be a really quiet area. Their swamp is super cold in winter. You'd walk through the swamp and hit patches not quite frozen all the way through, even in the deepest part of winter. Now, that in and of itself isn't unusual. Running water doesn't always freeze. It's a geologically active area, like there's reasons for that. However, my great-grandfather spent time in Ireland before settling in Alaska, and he liked to tell how, when he was there, he rescued a pair of fairies and made a pact with them in exchange for being able to see things nobody else could. He'd take him with him and provide alcohol to their liking. When he settled in the homestead, so he liked to tell it, he brought the fairies with him. So long as they had a drop of alcohol and good company in the cold of winter, there they'd stay. Now we did see them on occasion at the swamp. Not just us kids, but the adults, too. They looked like fireflies or ball of light, mostly in white, but you'd see one in red or blue now and again. Not like slightly red or slightly blue like red M&M or blue M&M, but glowing type red or blue. We also saw them inside the cabin. 
Sometimes they'd follow you or all collect nearby while we were chopping firewood, but not always. The red one was almost always around when someone got hurt, and we were all fairly convinced it made bad things happen. I'm not sure if people outside our family saw them, but I do know everyone within my immediate family had at least a handful of direct experience with them, and at least one negative experience. With the red light, or fairy as my family always called it, present, the cabin had a sort of lodge-style design. The rooms were lofted into either side of the living room, kind of like in hotels where there's an open middle section, banisters surrounding it with rooms on opposite sides. It doesn't really matter, except that from upstairs you could see either side of wall, dividing the kitchen and sunroom, and on more than one occasion you'd see the little balls of light would hit the wall and just keep going out the other side. You'd also hear whistling sometimes, kind of an echo of what my great-grandfather sounded like when he was drinking and, as he liked to say, chatting with the fairies in his putter room, it would happen when you were in the swamp and in the house and when you were the only one on the property at all. The homestead burned down shortly after my great-grandfather passed away, maybe seven years ago, and so far nobody's in a hurry to rebuild. I do wonder sometimes if the lights are still out there or the whistling, but I'm not in any rush to go find out. The memory of that hunting trip still haunts me to this day. It began as an adventure, a chance to reconnect with my closest friends in the rugged wilderness of Yosemite National Park. We were a tight-knit group bound by years of shared experiences and an unbreakable bond. The prospect of solitude and the thrill of the hunt drew us to those remote woods, but little did we know the horrors that awaited us. We set out with high spirits, the crisp mountain air invigorating us as we trekked deeper into the wilderness. The towering pines and the distant cry of birds promised an escape from our busy lives, a chance to find solace in the heart of nature. But as we ventured further, an unsettling feeling settled over us, like an unseen presence watching our every move. The first eerie encounter occurred when we stumbled upon strange symbols etched into the bark of ancient trees. They were unlike anything I had ever seen, twisted, intricate patterns that seemed to pulse with an otherworldly energy. We dismissed them as the work of overactive imaginations, or perhaps the remnants of some long-forgotten cult. Then came the voice, a haunting, ethereal whisper that seemed to beckon us deeper into the woods. It was as if the very forest itself was trying to communicate with us, a notion that sent shivers down our spines. We attempted to rationalize it, blaming the wind or our tired minds, but deep down we knew something was amiss. Our eerie encounters escalated when, one evening, we ventured into a small clearing. The fading light of the setting sun cast long, eerie shadows, and there it was, the creature, this thing had a round, human-sized head, with no beak and huge bat-like wings. Its body stretched to a terrifying five, six feet in length, its wingspan an immense twenty-five, thirty feet. It had no feathers, just jet-black bat-like skin that glistened in the fading light. Its skinny four, five-foot tail protruded straight out behind it but it was the way it moved that sent a shiver down our spines. It didn't fly like a bird, but rather it glided about ten feet off the ground at a plodding speed. After a distance of fifty-seventy-five feet, it took one enormous flap of its wings, never changing its elevation, and glided up the road until it disappeared into the woods. I couldn't shake the feeling that this creature didn't belong in the world above. It was as though it had emerged from some underground lair, perhaps near a hidden hot spring, which explained its absence of feathers. Our sense of unease reached its peak when tragedy struck. One evening, as we were setting up camp, the creature returned. It descended upon us with horrifying speed, its enormous wings casting a shadow over our campfire. 
Panic ensued as we tried to defend ourselves, but it was futile. In the chaos, one of our friends was taken, seized by the creature, and carried off into the night. We searched frantically, but found no trace of our missing friend. Desperation and fear gnawed at us as we realized the gravity of the situation. It was then that we discovered our friend's lifeless body under a nearby hill, surrounded by strange symbols etched into the ground. With trembling hearts, we decided to call the police, hoping for assistance and answers. But as we recounted our story to the officers who arrived on the scene, we were met with incredulity and skepticism. They accused us of concocting a wild tale to cover up our friend's death, and they promptly placed us under arrest. As we were handcuffed and led away from the eerie woods that had claimed our friend's life, I couldn't help but wonder if the creature we had encountered was a guardian of some hidden, ancient secret within Yosemite. It was a chilling thought, one that would haunt me for the rest of my days. Let me take you back to that unforgettable weekend, the camping trip that would forever change my perspective on the wild, untamed landscapes of the Pacific Northwest. It all began when my wife, our daughter, and I decided to embark on a holiday camping adventure. We had taken the day off from work on that Friday and were ready to join our group of friends who had already set up camp. Our friends, also accompanied by their kids and dogs, had discovered a promising campsite far from the beaten path, nestled just off a service road. It was primitive, lacking official campsite amenities, but it promised the kind of serene escape we all yearned for. Our group comprised ten individuals in total, seven adults and three tweens. The campsite located south of Mount Rainier in Washington State, rested just outside the boundaries of the National Park. A solitary road led to a locked gate reserved for park staff only. Anyone who ventured in that direction soon made a U-turn, finding the gate impassable. Upon our arrival, our friends had thoughtfully set up two tents, with one positioned closer to the road for us, while they occupied the ones further back. With camp successfully established, we spent the evening relaxing by the fire, kids playing joyously, and all of us savoring a delightful dinner. It was a typical camping scene. Friends gathered around a crackling fire, sipping drinks and sharing stories. As the night wore on, fatigue began to claim our energy, and the coolness of the night air set in. One by one, our friends retreated to their respective tents, seeking warmth and rest. My wife, feeling particularly cold, sought refuge in the warmth of our car, where she eventually fell asleep. Our daughter and I remained the last ones by the fire, reluctant to surrender to the chilling embrace of the night. However, eventually, she expressed her desire to sleep in the car with her mother to escape the cold. I agreed to her plan after unsuccessfully attempting to wake my wife, who was fast asleep in the car. After my daughter retrieved her blanket and sleeping bag from the tent, she zipped it up securely and headed to the car. Left alone, I decided to stay up a little longer, tending to the dwindling fire, its glowing embers casting an eerie light in the pitch, black surroundings. Somewhere around 3.30 in the morning, I stirred from a momentary doze, only to find myself alone by the fire with nothing but the dim glow of fading coals for company. The inky darkness was oppressive, and the once energetic fire had transformed into a bed of red-hot embers. It was time to retire to the tent. Navigating my way through the utter blackness of the night, I managed to reach our tent. My exhaustion was overwhelming, and I fell into a deep slumber as soon as I crawled into my sleeping bag. Then, at around 3.30 in the morning, I was startled awake by the faint rustling of my daughter's tent. It sounded as if two women were conversing softly, but their words were indistinct, resembling mere mumbling. This unexpected disturbance left me slightly irritated as I assumed my wife and daughter were merely settling into her tent, attempting not to wake me as they chatted quietly. With this thought, I directed my attention back to my own slumber. 
However, my irritation quickly gave way to an eerie sense of unease. In the silence of the night, a disturbing sensation crept over me, something unnatural. I noticed the persistent sound of what seemed like sticks breaking or snapping, which I attributed to the still-burning fire, now reduced to occasional pops and cracks. Then a more unsettling realization struck me. Something was moving near the front of my tent, and it had come to a halt just outside. I could sense its presence, its heaviness, and I remained perfectly still, fearing to make even the slightest movement. As I sat there in the darkness, terror coursing through me, I suddenly heard a deep, resonant breath, audible, deliberate, and powerful. The exhale that followed was a loud huffing sound, akin to what one might expect from a large animal, like a horse or a cow. The sound was incredibly close, almost touching the fabric of my tent. I was paralyzed with fear. My senses were heightened, every nerve on edge as I struggled to comprehend the inexplicable. What manner of creature stood just beyond the thin wall of my tent? The only thing that separated us was that fragile layer of fabric, yet I dared not move or make a sound. After that single heavy breath and the ensuing huff, a profound silence enveloped the area, casting an even more ominous pall over my predicament. The night offered no respite from the terror that had gripped me, and I remained frozen in place. Time stretched on indefinitely, but the first rays of dawn finally began to seep through the darkness, providing some modicum of reassurance. Gathering my courage, I ventured outside to inspect the area in front of my tent. It was then that I made a shocking discovery. My daughter's tent stood before me. Its zipper unfastened, and it was vacant. Panic surged through me, and I rushed to the car to find my wife and daughter soundly asleep. It was impossible. There were no tracks, no evidence of anyone or anything disturbing our camp. My wife and daughter had not left the car, and no tracks led to or from the tents. My mind reeled with unanswered questions and unspoken fears. Who were the soft voices that had rustled my daughter's tent? What was the source of the ominous breathing and huffing just outside my own tent? How had my daughter's tent been unzipped in the dead of night? Despite the rising sun and the promise of daylight, I was left with a profound sense of unease, a nagging fear that the wilderness held secrets far beyond our understanding. The first night had been terrifying, and the mysteries of the second night were just beginning to unravel. As the day wore on and we ventured into the wilds around us, the true nature of our secluded camping spot would be revealed, leaving us with a sense of dread that lingers to this day. I'm here to tell you about several different experiences that I've had with Bigfoot or Sasquatch in my lifetime. Everything from having rocks thrown at me to this thing charging at my trailer to seeing this thing face to face. Back when I was in my earlier 20s, I want to say probably 25, I had gotten my first RV and decided to take it into some of the mountains down in California. Now I drove that some bitch all around. I want you to know that I lived in that thing and it was my baby for quite some time. But there were a few times that I felt strange things happen or that there was maybe a strange presence outside my RV, if that makes any sense. The time that really stands out to me in particular was there was one night that I was sleeping in my camper when I started to hear these little pop-pop sounds against my trailer. Then they started to get louder and heavier and start turning into thuds. Then I realized that I was having rocks and pebbles thrown at my trailer. What the hell, I thought. I'm out in here in the middle of the woods by myself at three in the morning. I'm pretty much butt naked, and I've run outside my trailer and look around. It's pitch black, and there's nothing but the stars in the sky. There's no person. There's no sounds. Only crickets. I'm not sure what on earth was pelting my trailer, but I walk over to the side in which I heard the noise, and there's a bunch of rocks and pebbles all along the base of the RV along with little dents from all the rocks being thrown. Something or someone was throwing rocks. 
I want you to keep in mind that these kind of events happened to me all over the state of California. There was really no specific location that these things happened or didn't happen. They would just happen from time to time, some worse than others. There would be times where I'd be hiking out in the woods by myself and I would hear wood knocking, screams, and other really strange sounds that I couldn't quite explain. Actually, if you get on YouTube right now and type in Bigfoot screams, I believe there's an audio clip that's taken from Eastern Oregon, at least I think. If you listen to that, that actually pretty closely matches what I would hear sometimes off in the woods, along with the wood knocking. Another time I was hiking alone, and I'm pretty sure I stumbled into these things' territory by accident. I remember I had passed several. Well, what they would probably indicate is markers. These were trees that were literally ripped and uprooted out of the ground, turned upside down and broken apart, and in pieces. It was the strangest sight. If any of you want to know what I'm talking about, simply go to Google Images and look for Bigfoot markers and Bigfoot upside. Down trees to get an idea of what I'm talking about. I didn't believe that those things could happen like that, but unfortunately, when you come face to face with these things, it's an unfortunate reality. I had walked past these markers a little ways and noticed the wilderness around me dead silent, and that's when I started to feel a little uneasy. I was right next to a ridge, and something in my gut told me to look up. And at the top of the ridge, maybe 20 feet away from me, was the largest what I would call Bigfoot, that I could ever have imagined seeing in my life. This thing was a behemoth. It was massive. Not only did it have the largest barrel body I've ever seen, but it looked like a silverback gorilla on steroids. I'm talking easily nine to ten feet tall, and I can't even measure the girth because it was just so massive. The muscles itself were humongous. But the most haunting part of that whole experience was the intent look that it was giving me. It had a very mean and earthy-looking face, a very pronounced brow ridge and large nose and lips. The eyes were dark but not pitch, black. I could kind of see them from only about 25 feet away. This thing just glared at me menacingly. Its body language and entire demeanor were basically holding its ground and defending its territory. If I were to summarize the way it was looking at me, it was basically telling me to leave now. You bet your sweet ass I wasn't going to be trying to challenge an animal this large. Hell no. Anyway, I just wanted to share these, my new details, with you. And in the future, I might go ahead and send you a really full in depth encounter that I had in Colorado. I live in a country neighborhood surrounded by woods and pastures in northeast Texas, bordering Louisiana. Last night I went out to my car around 10 p.m., and I heard a noise from the trees or bushes no more than 15 yards from me. I looked quickly expecting to see a deer, but instead saw a bipedal figure graceful bounding across the street into the other yard, vanishing into the darkness of the night. I quickly got in my car and turned my brights and faced my car in the direction it ran, and I didn't see anything, but when I turned my car toward the dead-end road across from where it ran, I saw the silhouette of a large four-legged creature with glowing eyes. At first I thought it was a dog, but it would have had to been a Great Dane or larger. It looked at me for a split second, then ran behind the trees back toward a large pasture. Going back to the bipedal runner. We have a big orange street light covering most of that road, so it's very visible. But this thing wasn't very distinguishable, aside from his humanoid form. It bounded with a graceful stride like a deer. It sent a chill up my spine. It never seen anything like it before. Does any of this check out with you all? I know skinwalkers are known to be a New Mexico or southwestern thing, but I've looked up reports of Texas sightings. Forever ago, I had a nightmare that still kind of haunts me. It was one of those dreams that feel so vivid, 
so real that you can't shake the feeling it left behind, like a chill running down your spine on a hot summer day. In the dream, I was driving home with my parents, just like any other evening. The sun was setting, casting long shadows across the winding road. As we approached a crossroad that's up the road a ways from my house, something caught my eye. A figure, a silhouette against the dimming light, stood at the crossroad. It was strange, almost otherworldly. The figure appeared to be a pale and bald person, but it was far from ordinary. It was as tall as the massive stop sign that marked the intersection. Its body was concealed by a cultist-like monk cloak that hung heavily around it. But what sent shivers down my spine was its eerie smile. It just stared at me, an unblinking gaze and that grin etched onto its face. The creature, if that's what it was, was incredibly skinny, almost emaciated, like it was nothing but bones beneath that cloak. And those eyes, those unnatural eyes that seemed to lack eyelids, glared at me with a sinister knowing. Since that fateful dream, I couldn't shake off the eerie feeling that enveloped me every time I passed that crossroad, especially after a long night at work when exhaustion clung to my eyelids like a shroud. It was on one of those nights driving home that something truly unsettling happened. I was navigating the winding road, the world outside my car bathed in the soft glow of my headlights. I approached the crossroad, and suddenly a pair of blinding headlights appeared just ahead. Panic seized me as a car came straight at me. I swerved to the side, my heart pounding in my chest. But the strange thing was, as I looked in my rearview mirror, there were no lights behind me. It was as if the headlights I'd seen were never there. That night, after the dream of the tall, grinning figure and the bizarre encounter on the road, I spent the day in complete paranoia. Every shadow seemed to conceal a lurking presence. Every creak in the house sent my heart racing. I couldn't escape the dread that had taken hold of me. Curiosity eventually got the better of me. I started researching, diving deep into the world of cryptids and urban legends, hoping to find something that matched the description of the sinister figure in my dreams. I came across tales of shadowy creatures, ghostly apparitions, and ancient legends, but nothing quite fit. Months turned into years, and the nightmares eventually subsided. But the memory of that crossroad and the ominous figure never left me. I couldn't help but wonder if there was more to it than just a dream. Was there really something lurking at that crossroad? Something beyond the realm of our understanding? As time passed, I began to accept that some mysteries may never be unraveled and some nightmares may never truly fade. The crossroad remained a place of unease, a reminder that there are things in this world that defy explanation and that some dreams, no matter how long ago, can continue to haunt us forever. This is a creepy occurrence I've been noticing for over a year now in my neighborhood. So I always go for runs and walk my dog late at night, usually between 2 and 4 a.m. I bartend, and I almost never see another soul when I'm out. But one night around this time last year, I saw an older middle-aged woman walking up the street not far from where I live. Normally, I wouldn't have thought anything of it, but she had a notable shuffle to her step, was walking in the center of the street, not on the sidewalk, and had a brown purse with her like she was going somewhere, and not just out for a late-night walk. She seemed to take no notice of me and my large dog. I then began to see this woman night after night in different places along my dog walking and running, running routes, and even encountered her as she emerged from the house where I assume she lives. I began to notice how she always walked the same route at the same time every night, even when it's raining and even on the coldest nights. But her creepiness factor shot up substantially when I noticed that when she got to my block along a route, she would turn and walk in between two houses right across the street from my house. Go until she was just in the dark outside the range of the street light. 
pause when her face was inches away from the side of one of the houses, and then just crouch. She'd stay crouched for a minute or two, stand back up, then go back out to the street and continue on her way. One time, as it was approaching 3.30 a.m., and I was already inside for the night, I turned off the lights so we could see outside better and made my girlfriend come to the front window with me to look out. I said something like, you know the creepy woman I mentioned? Watch what she does. And sure enough, like clockwork, she turned onto our block, shuffled in between the two houses, and did her little crouching ritual. This had us both creeped out and baffled. A thought occurred to us that maybe she's peeing, but at this point, I've encountered her enough in the midst of her ritual and have never seen her taking down or pulling up her pants. The presence of me and my dog, even when we're right across the street, doesn't seem to make her hesitate in her behavior. I even tried to examine from the sidewalk during the day the spot where she crouches to look for clues as to what she might be doing. There's a couple cinder blocks there placed side by side against the house, and in the hollow of one of them is what looks like an empty plastic tape out container. The sense of fear I got from her gave way to strong curiosity, which is why I never changed up my habits to avoid her, and sometimes to indignation, like how could she just wander onto someone else's property every night? At times I've considered approaching the people across the street about this, but I don't know them, and I realize I'd probably come off as a little crazy myself in going out of my way to tell them about some woman who honestly seems harmless enough just a person simply acting on a strain. Compulsion. Still, it's unsettling. So I've been doing hours of research daily for the past two weeks on demons, skinwalkers, UFOs, sleep paralysis, everything, and trying to connect it all. Last week I was sitting in the living room, it was around 9 a.m. and I was researching sleep paralysis and the connection to demons when I heard footsteps. My mom's room connects to the living room and no one else was home, so I looked up assuming my mom was awake. Instead, I saw a black humanoid figure with no features. It was just solid, all black, no highlights or anything. Step into the wall and disappear. My mom was still asleep. I haven't mentioned it to anyone because they'll probably just think him crazy. But I know what I saw, and I've thought long and hard, and I know it wasn't just a shadow or anything. So I just went back to my researching and crude to forget about it. Then two days ago, I had a dream, and my dream, the phone rings. It's an unknown call, and when I answer, I just hear this horrible, horrible, scary voice that's full of pure hatred. That screams mind your own business, and then I woke up. I wonder if it's because of my research. Another interesting thing is, a couple days ago, I broke my phone. and I wonder if that's why I had to be communicated with through a dream instead. Let me know if anyone has any idea what's going on. You can call me Zack. I won't reveal... My real name. I served in the U.S. Marine Corps for at least four years, longer than it seems most people serve. I was stationed at the Military Entrance Processing Station in Bangor, Maine, while going through training to join an infantry unit. It's a tough job that requires a lot of stamina and endurance. It's also very stressful. You have to give up a lot of your personal freedom in exchange for discipline and structure, and my time there was most dangerous. While I was stationed there, I witnessed several strange sightings that are still etched into my brain even today after trying my best to forget them. The first sighting happened in the summer of 2009 when I was in the waiting room with my mother and brother. It was an unusually hot day. It felt like 110 degrees outside, even though it really wasn't all that hot. However, we were waiting for the bus to take us back to housing. We had been in there for about two hours now. Everybody in the station was miserable from the heat, and people were starting to lose their tempers for no reason. My mom reminded me of a cartoon character who was trying to keep her composure. 
She just couldn't stop herself from yelling. At first, I thought it was funny watching people get yelled at, but after a couple of hours, it got really old, and I just wanted to leave. We were sitting near the front desk, talking with two soldiers who had heard our entire conversation, even though they were deep in their own, about some event that happened earlier in the day. The following is an account of what happened. My mom told me that she saw the desk. One of Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The soldiers was not saying much, but the second soldier was retelling his story excitedly. Apparently, he saw a pair of green eyes with a large black creature also having wings near one of the bus stops. My mom said she thought it looked like something out of an old Japanese horror movie due to the description. It sounded suspiciously like a mythical creature called the Kappa. She said that it was about the size of a human but had dark green scaly skin, long arms. It also had webbed feet and hands, kind of like it was pointing upwards. It was flying over the sky, almost motionless and gliding. When the soldiers got off the bus, terrified, the soldier who saw it in question ran back toward the building to report his sighting of this creature that he thought was just some sort of anomaly at first. He kept saying that it was real, and at first uh, thought he was joking. But after a minute or two of talking about how he couldn't believe what he was seeing, both soldiers got horrified. They looked from the front door to the back door realized it must have been looking at them from one of those windows or had been watching them from the sky ceiling. One of them said that it looked into the sky and kind of just vanished, as if it completely disappeared, as if it kind of disintegrated into nothing. He was literally trembling in fear when he saw it, and the thought of drawing his gun on this thing was terrifying if it came back down on him after he went inside. They both had no idea what it was. They thought maybe it had been a genetic experiment or some sort of alien. One guy said he saw something similar when he was up in Alaska, and the other soldiers agreed that it must maybe be a sign from God telling them to stay away from going outside while this thing is lurking around near them. When my mother told me what she saw, I said that it must have been a really strange animal they probably haven't seen before. Most of the military bases in Maine are right next to very large forests, so maybe this thing isn't really a demon or an alien, and it's always been here, but no one's ever noticed it. Maybe somebody went out to the woods and found it, and they were doing something. I told her that I thought these soldiers were just messing with them, and she agreed but said that they looked pretty scared enough to be telling the truth. One of them even sounded like he was going to cry as he described it in its face. I know he may have been lying about it, but that was a pretty good performance if he was. He didn't say much about what it looked like, but he was pretty shaken up. Maybe there really is something out there. In early April of 2017, I required a CIAT scan at a local hospital here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm sitting in the waiting area with a couple of other people. Each person was called and taken in by a woman. I was the last one left, waiting for an unreasonably long time, so I kept looking for anyone to call me for my scan. 
After a while, I became restless, so I got up and looked in the CIT scan hallway, but nobody seemed to be there. I walked over to another area with a reception desk, but no one was there either. I thought they must all be on a lunch break, and I was not happy, so I went back to my seat. A few minutes later, the CIAT scan hallway door opens, and I'm expecting to see that same woman asking me to come in. But this time, a man came out. The only words that I can write to describe him are that he was bizarre and downright hideous looking, exceptionally tall and thin. He had on a strange looking suit and tie. His eyes were just slits. His skin was scarred and he was completely bald. My initial thought was there is no way that this guy works here. He looked so horrid. He would simply scare children and half the people who needed scans. He also had the most insidious wide grin. I really wasn't scared, but completely perplexed why this guy would be allowed to work in this environment. He called out my first name and took great pains in pronouncing it. I followed him in and sat on the scan table. He went around the corner but kept looking at me through the window. Then he was gone. I waited for several more minutes until two other men came in to do my scan. I don't know why. But I didn't ask about the weird-looking man. In fact, I actually forgot about him. That was until I was at a friend's home a few weeks later and her sister dropped in for a visit. She mentioned that she worked at the same hospital in the radiology department, so I asked her who the bizarre man that works there was. She gave me a bewildered look and told me that she had no idea what I was talking about. She asked me to detail his appearance to her. She again confirmed that no one with that description worked there and became somewhat hostile at my insistence on what I saw. A week later, I went to my doctor for the results. His words were, I'm sorry, this is quite unusual. Your CIAT scan is missing. The scan and report vanished and couldn't be found. Now I wonder if the weird grinning man was responsible I work for a security firm. We have a few ex-military and law enforcement who are thoroughly trained and, depending on the contracts, considerably well armed. Last year I was assigned to a nondescript building on the outskirts of Richmond, Virginia. We usually get hired when the government wants to keep something under wraps. The building was large, it seemed like a repurposed hospital, but updated and sterile. The property was expansive, too but it had an eight-foot-high chain-link fence, and the grounds were under constant CCTV surveillance. We didn't find any of this the least bit odd, fairly commonplace practice, really. There was a roster of about 30 personnel who routinely worked in the building. I recognized all of them and knew a few well enough to have brief conversations, but it was always idle chit-chat. None of them ever revealed any information about the site and I never asked until recently. We had hardly received any visitors. But more recently, it's been really steady, from military higher-ups, doctors, and various government agencies. I was typically on perimeter patrol, and I preferred it that way. Fresh air, no matter how cold, always kept me on my toes, and that's what I was doing the night it happened. The building had been a buzz of activity all day. There had been a record number of visitors. I had seen military vehicles overtly enter the grounds. We had gotten word earlier that the contract was coming to an end, and I was going to be reassigned somewhere in the Philadelphia area. At that point, there was only a skeleton crew of five or six left inside, plus nine other security personnel. They had doubled us up over the last few days. So it was about ten, thirty at night and lonely. I had another ninety minutes left on my shift. I was on the eastern edge of the grounds doing a routine check of the fence line when my walkie blared out into the silence. All security was being called to the main entry room. The voice spoke frantically and I couldn't make out who was speaking. I started trotting towards the front of the building when I heard an alarm started blaring inside. It sounded like a fire alarm. I had double-timed it and I could see another guard running from the west edge of the perimeter. Right before I reached the door, it flew open and two women wearing lab coats burst through the entryway, running down the steps right past me. 
They didn't stop to talk. The other guard caught up on me, and together we moved into the building. Multiple alarms were going off inside the building, and the overhead sprinkler system had been set off. Water was pouring down on the tops of our heads. We made our way to the entry point and linked up with five of our guys. Three were missing. None of us knew what was going on, and we were under strict orders not to cross past the entry point unless directed to do so by building personnel. Then suddenly, two gunshots from the hallway passed the door were followed by a scream of pain, which was cut short abruptly. Orders or not, this is what we were here for. So we moved into the hallway, leaving one man back to guard the door. The hallway was clean and sterile, like you would see in an intensive care ward. We were unfamiliar with this part of the building, and when we came to a junction, we split into two groups. I took the north corridor with two other guards, and we made our way down the hallway, meticulously checking each room. Most were empty, but others had what looked like medical equipment stored neatly on shelves or covered by tarps. As we neared the end of the hallway, we came upon a set of double doors that crashed open, slamming into the walls, and then a body came soaring down the hallway, slamming into the guard next to me. I raised my arm to the doorway in response, but nothing trained me for what came barreling through. Calling them human would be a stretch, but three of them came crashing through the door after the body. Each was nine feet tall with grayish-green skin, and they were completely nude. They bore no signs of gender. Their bodies were lean, and a maze of veins ran along each of their limbs. They had human faces, but they were devoid of any type of hair. One of the three had a tangle of tubes and wires trailing after it, but the other two were riddled with scars and had gaping holes on their torsos. As soon as they saw us, they rushed. I was able to get a single shot off, and I watched it soar through the chest of the first one. It didn't even break stride. The last thing I remember then was my head slamming into the hallway wall. I woke up on a military base about 30 miles from where we had been. I immediately knew I was concussed and that I couldn't stand. It was a long time before anyone came to see me, and when they did, it wasn't the least bit enlightening. There was no explanation as to what I had seen or what those things were. Nobody would even formally acknowledge that I had been engaged in any type of combat at all. I did receive fair medical treatment, but that was it. Eventually, one of my superiors came to see me and let me know that I was being placed on temporary leave until I recovered and that I could return to duty. After I got home, I tried reaching out to a few of the other contractors I knew, but still, I haven't been able to get in touch with any of them. Once this story gets out, I'm sure they'll know who blew the whistle. I don't know what will happen to me, and at this point, it doesn't really matter. We need to tell people what we saw. I'm wondering if you could help me with this. It happened last Halloween night. It's bothered me ever since. I tried calling into coast to coast, but nobody really helped me with it or told me what I experienced, so I was kind of hoping with all the calls and guests you've had that maybe you could help me. Well, what happened to me was I delivered newspapers at night. I was on the street at about 4.30 in the morning, and I saw a group of kids. Like I said, it was after Halloween... 4.30 the next morning on November 1st, and these kids, there were about six of them, and they were all dressed in gray robes with hoods and hoods. They weren't wearing them. The hoods were down their back. They saw my car, and one of them came toward me aggressively. She came up to my car, but I didn't stop for her. I looked at her, and she was very pretty but very young. She looked like she was 14 or 15 years old, and the first thing I thought was, why was someone that young out at this time of time? So I drove around her. I didn't stop, then the other one saw me, and they all fanned out to surround my car, to stop my car, and I, I didn't want that to happen, so I drove up on the guy's lawn, the house that was to the left of me. I drove up on his lawn to get away from them, but... I almost hit one of them. That's how much they were coming after me, and it scared me. I didn't know why they wanted me to stop, so I thought I better call the police, so I got my phone out, and I looked in my rear-view mirror, and they were all huddled together. 
like a football huddle, and I thought, you know, these are kids, and I almost hit one of them. You'd think they'd be jumping up and down and swearing and flipping me off, but they weren't. They were all together in this huddle, and then they went down this street, and I thought I'd better follow them so I can tell the police what they are doing. And I mean, it was seconded since I turned around and went down the street, and they were gone. Just that fast, they were gone. And there's no way they, all of them, could have gotten anywhere. It just kind of spooked me, and I'm never afraid at night, but I was for three days after that. They were dressed in robes, which I thought was weird, too, because being that age, they don't want to be dressed the same, you would think. So I just thought it was an odd group of people to have out at that time of night, and then to come after me the way they did, and I didn't know what they wanted. It was 4.30 in the morning on November 1st, right after Halloween. I called Coast to Coast because David Weatherly was on there, and I guess he's the expert on what black-eyed children. I thought maybe that's what they were. It sounded like that's what it could have been, but he didn't really say much. He just said that Halloween was the night that portals are open or something, and whatever can get through. These kids literally disappeared. They went down this big street with big houses, with big lawns, and I was right behind them, and there's no way they could have gotten anywhere. They couldn't even have made it to the end of the first house without me seeing them, and they were gone, and that's what freaked me out. It was so bizarre, and it scared me. I was scared to be out for three nights. In 1980, during my seventh trip to the Yucatan Peninsula, I met two students at the Mayan ruins in Tullum. They were on an archaeological dig outside Chichen Itza, near some known lagoons. Sinotza, these two students were at Tullum that day doing some research and were kind enough to invite me to come out and visit their dig site. This is their story. We completed our research at the Tulum Mayan ruins and went to meet our group outside the Chicken Itza area. While driving that night, we had an approximate three-hour drive to arrive at our hotel. We are both archaeological students from Boston College and the University of Texas. Ken was 20, one years old, and Jan was 20. We stopped at a small cantina to pick up sodas for our drive. We noticed the sky was clear and twinkling with stars. On the way, out in the middle of nowhere, Jane saw a moving object in the sky, shining a very bright light. It seemed to be headed parallel to where we were heading. Ten minutes later, it was gone. We did not think it was strange. We thought maybe it was a military plane or something to that effect. We were alone, not too much traffic on the highway. We only passed a tour bus or two, probably headed back to Cancun. We rented a Volkswagen thing, a fun car to drive, but kind of a rough ride. After a while, the car began to lose power and ran rough. Just as we came around a sharp curb in the road, there it was sitting on the road, taking up both lanes. A metallic, smooth-looking disc. I started to lose consciousness and could feel Jan pulling on my right arm and screaming but I could not move or say anything. The next thing I knew, both of us were in a small hospital being asked questions by the police. Apparently, we were found approximately one three-quarters miles away from the car. I was found lying down in the dirt, and Jan was found walking down the road. We were both released from the hospital the next morning. My arms and Jan's legs were covered in bruises. That day, both of us had slight bleeding in our noses and an upset stomach. We could not drink much water or keep food down. Ken called me at my hotel and wanted to come by and talk to me. We did meet in Ken, and Jan told me bits and pieces of their account, as you can imagine. It was hard for both of them trying to recall what they thought may have happened. They went back that afternoon, hooked up with their group, and worked the dig for several days. Before returning home, they said that each one of them had different details, but were still confused. Ken said we both began having lucid dreams several weeks after returning home. It slowly came back to us. We were abducted by tall men with blonde hair and blue eyes in some type of jumpsuit-like uniform. Jen and I slowly tried to put together what happened. 
Sometimes we had different thoughts. Jan said she saw me without any clothing on, leaning against a soft blue light wall. I remember seeing Jan lying on a medical-type table surrounded by three of the tall men. Jan recalls also seeing four small gray-type beings on the craft and said that their eyes were black, and they had what appeared to be a second lens, type eye, behind the other pupil. Both said they received different confusing messages in their minds during their time on the craft. Ken said he was somewhat conscious and did see various equipment, medical instruments being used on Jan. What had me concerned was this entire event, having been with them earlier that day and finding out they experienced an incredible abduction. I had two other conversations with them and both were seeking professional help. I lost contact with them about three years after this happened. Okay, so, I'd appreciate anything anyone can tell me. I had this dream but can't shake it. I've tried looking it up but end up confused. So, from what I remember, it's me and my friend Ill Caller Sarah. Not a real name and two others I don't recognize. I remember calling my mom in this dream and getting severe weather. One thing my mom said was, even if it's the last one referring to the storm. I remember tornado warnings in the background. We jump in my car and start driving to my mom's, and I remember we make it and get under the house for protection from the tornado. Once the tornado was over, I went out to see midday and clear. Only thing is I remember seeing deer head like skulls with huge antlers with skin hanging off of them. Made me think of a Wendigo. I live in the outskirts of the Appalachian Mountains. However, it's night just one. There's several. They're dead, I want to say. I'm not sure. Any help on this would be appreciated. I'm from the United Kingdom, and I don't know much about Wendigos. In fact, I didn't remember the name, as I've heard of them once in a TV series years ago. Last night, I had a dream. I was in a house, and I turned around, and there was a huge Wendigo in the doorway, and I instantly knew what it was and its name. In the dream, for some reason, I was living with and taking care of an old lady, but the Wendigo spirit then possessed the old lady, and she became evil and malicious. I had to be real nice to her and do what she asked, or I knew she would hurt me. Eventually, with the help from others in the dream, I got away. In another part of the dream, my skin started to feel spongy and strange and then my teeth started crumbling out of my mouth. I knew it was because of the Wendigo and my body was going to slowly die. All pretty gross, but I wasn't insanely scared during any of this. I have a lot of stress on the TM, so this could have influenced the dream. But I thought it was bizarre, especially as I forgot about Wendigos, including the name. The year was 2010 when the inexplicable events began to unfold, setting the stage for a series of bizarre occurrences that would forever change my perspective on the world around me. It all revolved around my best friend, who lived on the outskirts of a quaint small community nestled amidst dense woods and brush. His home was a sanctuary of seclusion, Surrounded by private property, with the nearest neighbors located a quarter of a mile away in both directions. It was an idyllic place, offering the solitude and serenity that most people only dream of. Little did we know, the tranquility of those woods concealed secrets that defied explanation. It was a crisp autumn evening when the first hint of strangeness manifested itself. My best friend and his girlfriend had decided to have a picnic in his front yard, savoring the cool evening air and each other's company. As they enjoyed their meal, he took a bite of an apple, only to find it far too sour for his taste. Nonchalantly, he tossed a partially eaten apple into his front yard, assuming that some hungry critter would eventually find it and make a meal of it. In the grand scheme of things, it was just one apple, a small, inconsequential act. 
The next morning, he ventured into his yard to retrieve the forgotten apple. To his surprise, it was nowhere to be found. At the time, he attributed its disappearance to some ravenous woodland creature. Nothing more. After all, he often left food out for deer and other wildlife to enjoy, and the idea that an apple had gone missing seemed inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. About a week passed, and life carried on as usual. My friend came home from work one evening, expecting nothing out of the ordinary. But as he approached his porch, he was met with a sight that would send shivers down his spine. A dead fox lay lifeless on his doorstep its eyes grotesquely bulging from their sockets. It was a horrifying sight. The animal appeared to have been strangled to death. Panic and confusion overwhelmed him as he struggled to comprehend the grisly tableau that lay before him. He couldn't help but wonder if someone was playing a macabre prank, toying with his sanity. And then to his astonishment and dread, he spotted the familiar apple, the very one he had thrown into the yard. With one bite taken out of it, it was a grotesque and unsettling tableau. Fear and paranoia gripped him, but he couldn't bring himself to report the incident to the authorities. Instead, he chose to wait, believing that if this was the work of a prankster, they would eventually grow bored and move on. As weeks turned into months, he found some semblance of normalcy, and the bizarre incident faded into the recesses of his memory. The onset of spring brought a renewal of hope and the promise of warmer days. My best friend and his girlfriend decided to enjoy a pleasant evening indoors, sharing a meal within the comforts of his home. Little did they know that this tranquil evening would soon descend into a nightmarish encounter that defied all reason. It was his girlfriend who first spotted it, a colossal dark figure standing in the front yard. Roughly fifty feet away, her piercing scream shattered the evening's tranquility, sending him rushing to the door in a frenzied panic. Swinging the door open, he was met with a sight that would haunt his dreams for years to come. Before him stood an enormous, enigmatic creature, a black mass towering at a height of about five to six feet. The fading twilight obscured the creature's features, leaving it shrouded in shadow. But what seized his attention was the object in its hand, a lifeless raccoon its size and grotesque appearance sending chills down his spine. In that moment his gaze locked onto the creature's eyes, or at least where its eyes should have been. He couldn't make out any definitive features or distinct facial characteristics, but the sensation that it was staring directly at him was undeniable. Panic coursed through his veins as he felt the creature's gaze bore into his very soul. Suddenly, as if aware of his presence, the creature darted behind a nearby tree, disappearing from view. My best friend was left standing there, trembling and bewildered, struggling to process the unfathomable encounter. That had just unfolded before him. His gut told him what he had seen. What had appeared in his front yard was none other than a Sasquatch, a creature of legend and myth. Over the next couple of days, he mulled over the experience, convinced that this elusive creature was the same entity responsible for the fox's gruesome demise in the peculiar apple incidents from the previous autumn. Strangely, the mysterious visitor had not reappeared or engaged in any further activity around his home, leaving him in a state of perpetual uncertainty. The years have since passed, but the memory of that chilling encounter continues to linger, an enigma forever etched into the annals of our shared history. Though time has provided some distance from that harrowing night, the unanswered questions persist, haunting my friend and serving as a constant reminder of the inexplicable and the unknown that lurk just beyond the threshold of our comprehension. I don't know if this is the right place to put this, so please guide me if I'm wrong. My brother had a paranormal experience he doesn't even remember. A few years ago, my younger brother, 16 at the time, had come complaining of feeling very ill. He was a grayish color, sweating and complaining of pains in his stomach. My mom put him to bed. 
The next day he was worse. She called the doctor, who told her to put him on an antibiotic, and he would be fine if it persisted. The doctor said not to bring him until the following day. My mom was told not to bring him to the hospital. However, after two hours, when he wasn't perking up, she went against those suggestions and took him to our local hospital. Upon his arrival there, they quickly linked him up with morphine and rushed him to the city hospital. Bigger, quicker, etc. They were told his appendix had burst, and if my parents had waited a few hours more, he would have died in his sleep. My brother was quickly rushed into an emergency surgery, which lasted around four or five hours. Now to the paranormal part. My mother is convinced my brother had died during this operation. For what duration, she's unsure, but to this day she is convinced. When he had woken up, he was obviously very high on morphine. And what he had said chilled my parents to the bone. He had told them he had talked to my grandparents, both of which sat in a white room on chairs with an empty one next to them. He had went to sit, but Granda told me that I wasn't allowed to sit there yet. My brother and I had never met my grandfather. He had died some six years before I had been born, and all we had of him was a single picture that hung above our parents' fireplace. Needless to say, my mom had fallen to her knees in hysterics. To this day, he doesn't remember this happening. He doesn't even believe in ghosts. But that day, he was able to speak of it so easily, so naturally. My grandparents were with him on that table, and they made sure he came back to us. Last night, I was making myself something to eat. And when the oven timer went off, I went into the kitchen to take the cinnamon rolls out of the oven. As I was about to set them down on the counter, I heard my cat come up behind me, making her unique I want some to noise. She never made the uh, meow sound that most cats make. She had her own language, and this was a distinct sound she used when she wanted me to give her food. Every time I went into the kitchen to grab something to eat or had something delivered, she could always tell and would make sure to let me know she was interested. I always shared whatever I had, so it reinforced the behavior. No big deal. So when she approached me last night and indicated that she wanted some, saying it twice, I turned around to say, hang on a second. I live alone, and talking to the cat is one of the least weird things about me. As I turned around, I knew there was no way I was going to see her behind me, and... Of course she wasn't there. The thing is, I had to put her to sleep exactly one month and one day ago. She was about 20 years old and had suddenly gotten very sick, signaling it was her time to go. I was pretty sure I had seen her dart around a corner or something. She was all black, kind of on the smaller side, and had shorter legs. So I just assumed my mind was playing tricks on me and ignored it. Last night I know what I heard, and I heard it twice. There was no mistaking it, and I don't doubt it was some kind of something, even if just residual energy. My other cat, who passed away about three years ago, also seemed to visit me on occasion. I could feel her sitting at my feet or behind my back, her favorite places to be.